0: for those of you in the audience that are not familiar with the military, a lot of major behavioral science progress, whether it's on leadership or decision-making or uh, team dynamics, was actually started because of a need or a challenge that the military thought that they had and eventually propagated to every single aspect of our lives. The example that Fred described is certainly one of them. So even if you're not very familiar with operations, those behavioral science issues are actually very pervasive in every aspect of our lives in our world. So yes, Morgan, or start. Well, I'll yeah. start it off. I'd like to first say that the
1: Army is the best Army, I think, personally in the world. There's always room for improvement. But the leaders and the, the rank and file soldier in, in our Army, amazing What I had the privilege to learn being in the special operations community, it changed my life, actually, to be in an organization that valued my opinion to a fault, to be in an organization that respected and trusted me to do things that I never thought I could or would do, to engage me in conversations, meaningful conversations at the lowest level of the organization. And value my opinion to the point where I had to pause oftentimes before I spoke and really think deeply about the responses, things they were asking me to do. It really made me feel not so much important, but humbled in a way. And so I really had to think critically and be more introspective. And over time, that was just continually encouraged there. When I was taught or trained in that organization, I felt like I was an integral member of the team from the very beginning. They spoke with me just in a very professional, meaningful way. I don't know how else to describe it. I felt like after I retired that some of those approaches to training and leadership may have value with the rest of the Army, the conventional force in the Army. And I was in a position where I could potentially influence that. as a company at the time, we were in a position to go around to the army and work with many, many units, briefings, training discussions. And it wound up being that we had an opportunity to actually do some training for some of the forces that were getting ready to go to Iraq and Afghanistan. And so we built a small team of people and we started doing some training courses for them. But the gist of the training courses was not so much to teach them a skill, although we didn't pay lip service to the skill. As was stated sort of earlier, in the Army, performance matters. It matters in the commercial sector, too. We have to perform. Fred, as a scientist, has to perform his scientist role, and so we have to do that. But there's also another aspect of it, which is problem solving, accountability, critical thinking, etc. that happens all the time in the military especially in combat situations. And so we thought to emphasize that in our training, our approach. My philosophy was if you build it, they will come. If we just demonstrate this and model it, they will get it. And I'll quickly sort of segue into Morgan because he had a profound impact on thinking a little bit deeper about our messaging and what we really needed to say to them in terms of, developing these competencies and attributes because we thought that those were just as or more important than the skill itself. We can develop hard skills, but if we don't do it in a manner that develops the other competencies and attributes, then we're not meeting a standard that we think is
2: important. Yes. So picking up on this a little bit, these other attributes, right? So I think that the genius of this particular program, I'm talking about The genius of people like Morgan and others that were involved in it was the realization that if, in fact, we are interested in things like critical thinking, problem solving, the various elements that Scott just mentioned, and that we want those in our leaders, we had better look back into how these individuals were trained really from the time they entered the army, because that's going to set up a pattern of behavior that's reinforced over time or not and that will be where the answer lies so i can pass it back to morgan or scott if you want to expand on that at all but i think that the key insight is that you don't want to wait till 10 years into somebody's career when you know they're taking on a significant leadership position to start to worry about these attributes that you don't want at that point in time
0: that's very interesting. And do we believe that we succeeded that early injection of those skills that are very complex skills and attitudes, not just skills, actually changed the trajectory of those soldiers? Morgan.
3: So I absolutely believe that it did. And one of the key things that Scott kind of identified was that, particularly in the very beginning, we, we weren't really sure what we were doing other than trying to demonstrate good leadership and training. And obviously, good leadership is more than just about knowledge transfer. It's also about the growth and development of the people that are participating in the activities. And what we began to do is, you know, during the course of the training, during the day, we would be talking about the task and we would be talking about managing stress and the performance task and mastering the basics. But then at the end of the day, we would do an after-action report where we would discuss with the students what they saw us doing and how it impacted them in the training. And what was really interesting about this is that it's a lived experience and it meant something to them. Even in a five-day course, we would actually have people come up to us and say that in my entire military career, I've never had anyone explain anything to me before or value my input into solving the problem. And so we would see profound changes just in the five days that we would be working with these mid-level leaders. And so I think that kind of the argument of what Fred is making and what Fred and Scott are continuing to work on today is that if you introduce this concept into the initial training of soldiers and officers, that it has an accumulative effect over time and becomes deeper and deeper ingrained in them. They expect as a soldier to be a valued member of the team. They grow up with the idea that they are expected to perform. They're expected to be trusted. All of these different things become a component of that. I think that that's. Yeah, really, really important. And I would also add that, you know, Scott and I were coming out of a military background where we were just demonstrating how to train based on our experiences, or maybe even intuitively. And it was the opportunity to work with Fred and other people like Gary Riccio that, basically as scientists, they said, what are you trying to accomplish? What are the metrics that will allow us to measure that? And now let's go out and look at it. And so it really became a upward spiral of understanding for all of us and realizing that How you teach and how you train actually has a profound impact on the development of these leadership skills.
1: It had a great impact on me, too, working with the science community in that area. To this day, I'm still working with scientists to this day because of that. And how Fred and team had a a profound impact on helping us define what it is we're doing, like Morgan said, and then putting some rigor behind assessing it, even understanding at the time what assessment meant. How do we assess confidence or accountability or problem solving? We didn't really have that sort of experience or expertise, but we learned from the science community how we can not only understand that more, but how it impacted how we implemented training also. So there's sort of a give and take on both hearts there.
2: Yeah, let me just add one quick thing to that. And then back to you, Daniel. On the assessment side, and I think this may help clarify some of what we're talking about here a little bit. So one of the results that we found, and you know, this was circa 2008, but through different opportunities with different clients, it was replicated two or three times through, say, 2015, was really very simple. And it sounds almost trivial, but I think it's profoundly important. And that is, if the teacher or in this case, the drill sergeant or the leader, whoever it may be, gives the student, in other words, the soldier, the trainee, the opportunity to exhibit a skill, generally speaking, they will do it. And if, in fact, you do not give people that opportunity, generally speaking, they will not. And you know, we found that through correlations. And what I mean by that, if you ask a very young soldier, you know, someone who's been in the Army for a couple of weeks, To solve a problem, you will see behaviors in that soldier trying to solve the problem. Doesn't mean they're going to solve it. Like, that's irrelevant whether or not they actually solve it right then. The question is whether or not they engage in those activities. And that's really important because that sets up the habit. And, you know, I don't necessarily mean habit in a sense that, you know, psychologists talk about habit, but it is kind of a habit of showing initiative, a habit of solving problems, a habit of critical thinking that matters and will be repeated over time. But if you don't build that habit early, you will not see it later. And part of that equates, by the way, to believing, and this goes back to trust. So Morgan and Scott articulated some of those earlier, but it's trusting in the young soldier that they will, in fact, rise to the occasion, and that you can trust them to engage. And that matters profoundly, because that's really what gets you out of the starting blocks into this accumulation over time, as opposed to an environment which assumes that this young person is not capable, therefore I cannot trust them. What Morgan and Scott did in their colleagues was to introduce a paradigm which said, "I'm going to trust you." Within bounded conditions, so I'm not going to let you fail, but within bounded conditions, I'm going to trust you. And then we are going to trust in the human organism to want to solve problems and want to grow.
3: Fred, just tying into that, one of the things that we encountered, and Scott, jump in on this, is how profound the idea existed across leadership that the brand new soldier or the young soldier could not be trusted. They needed somebody to guide them through it. They needed somebody to walk them through or explain to them what they're supposed to do step by step. And we actually countered significant arguments that you could trust a young person to solve problems or rise to the occasion as you described it. But what was also interesting, as we went through a five-day course of training and we exemplified that trust to the cadre, which were mid-level leaders, you would begin to see a significant number of them begin to say, okay, I'm going to replicate this trust within the boundaries that you defined, Fred, I'm going to replicate this trust when I get back to my organization. You would even find some of them actually talking about replicating this trust with their own kids. But it's very pervasive to not trust. It's almost like it was a natural tendency to not trust the younger generation to be able to solve the problem. Primarily because you perceive that they don't have the experience that you have. So you naturally assume that they can't solve it.
0: You can't imagine how much I appreciate the sharing of those insights about that particular experience and how profound the impact you observed on the soldiers and on the trainers, but also on yourselves too, which is fantastic. I think that in a sense, many people that are working in corporation today should listen to what we heard in the past 15 minutes here, because quite often in corporations, corporations just put a set of values on the wall. You know, we value, I don't know, integrity, this, that, and that. We value initiative. We value entrepreneurial spirit. But they do nothing in terms of developing their employees to reflect those values. What you created there, you kind of reverse a process. Through that process, you created a value that was then replicated throughout the organization, that value of trusting that folks can actually develop themselves. I think many corporations today do not think of that. If they they hire a young graduate with a degree in software engineering, they'll put her or him in a cubicle and expect them to produce code. And they would think about developing that person maybe five years, maybe 10 years into their career so that they become department leaders or division managers or beyond, as opposed to instilling that notion that very early on, as Fred says, if you don't instill it very early on, you won't get the result that you're expected. I hope people take from that a beautiful lesson that is emerging from it.